Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The Lynx and Locks podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken yeah. dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to the Links and Locks Golf Betting Podcast, presented by Bet365. For the first time in Links and Locks tournament preview history, we have Tiger Woods in the field this week at the 2023 Genesis Invitational. He's not only hosting, but he's playing. There's going to be a ton of fun with him being in feature group action. You're going to see every shot of his for the first two rounds, which should be a ton of fun. And we'll break down how that affects how we're playing our cards this week. We'll get into our best bets. We'll get into our outrights, place bets, and other exotic bets as well for this week. I'm your host, Roberto Arguello of Action Network, and I'm pleased to be joining you alongside Spencer Aguiar. That's at Tioff Sports on Twitter. Spencer, how are you doing today, and what are you most looking forward to with Tiger Woods in the field this week? Roberto, it's good to be here. Always a pleasure to do this show with you. It's fun to have Tiger Woods in the tournament. Like You kind of realize from a gambling perspective how many much more intrigue that there is around the sport every single time that he plays. I don't know if books have necessarily given us the bets and the wagers that I would have been hoping for in ways to attack him because a lot of times you, you get these situations where the public intrigue around Tiger is that he's either going to make the cut or, I mean, people get really carried away with it and think he's going to win the tournament. And you get these odds that skew everything in other directions. Like I can remember from you know, years ago from when we were playing this, like just a couple years ago when Tiger was more out here every single week, like you'd be able to get situations against him when you got elite golfers in the world and you could get them at like minus 110 price tags and be able to take them on in that capacity. I haven't seen that many head-to-head wagers involving him. The one that I did see was with Luke Donald versus him. And I know Luke Donald is a massive favorite. So that kind of shows where casinos think that Tiger Woods will be this week. And you know, that scares me a little bit. And unfortunately, my model is pushing it in the same direction. Also, he's 89th in my model this week. And, you know, for anybody out there listening, that is with such a lack of data from what we've had with him. It does take into account that he hasn't played recently. So that's something that's going to bump him down on my model a little bit. But having Tiger in any tournament is a benefit. And I hope, at least from a personal stance here, that he is able to make the cut. Because if we can get four rounds out of him, that's just going to boost the eyes around golf. Absolutely. Tiger Woods prints money for everyone in golf, no matter how you're related to it professionally. You want him to do well, of course. And let's get into some of the intricacies of Tiger Woods being in the field. Um, I was talking with my friend, James Nitties, who played on the tour uh, previously, and he mentioned that it's a real thing. I asked him about Tiger Woods playing relative to you on, in the field. So if you're a couple groups in front of him in his group or a couple groups behind him, it's going to be a significant role. And that's because people want to get 
three holes ahead of where he is just so they can get a glimpse of him for one or two shots. And then they jump ahead again. And so if you're ahead of him, two or three groups, you're going to have people walking all around you the entire round. And so given how they're doing this tournament, where if you're two groups ahead of him on Thursday, you're going to be two groups behind him on Friday. So just something to watch out for if you're doing head-to-head wagers. So if you've got somebody who's on the opposite side of the draw against someone who's in Tiger's side of the draw, maybe something you can find an edge on if books get a little bit lazy with it. And if you bet someone like Rory McIlroy or Justin Thomas, that could also be something to consider because they're playing with Tiger. And they actually both played with Tiger in this tournament a couple of years ago. I believe it was in 2018. And they both talked about how it was just crazy. There were people outside of the golf course doing construction on houses, yelling in their backswings. And it's just pandemonium on this golf course. When Tiger Woods is out there, people go nuts. So be sure to be wary of the Tiger effect. With all that being said, Spencer, do you have any bets on Tiger Woods this week? I know I know, Bet365 has him at the over-under at 80. Um, any thoughts on that or what price you might want to play him to make or miss the cut? I think once we get to like an 80th place total there, that's essentially a make-the-cut-miss-the-cut sort of wager. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know, Roberto. Like to me, this is one of those situations because it's Tiger Woods. I'm never going to discount the possibility of what he's able to do out here. I do think it's asking a lot for him to come out and make the cut and and to be able to compete. But we've seen crazier things from him before. Like it's not going to shock me if he's able to put together a really good Thursday or Friday round and get himself into the weekend. And you know, I, like Tiger Woods's expectations. I was telling somebody this the other day. He is such a winner that he truly believes he is going to win this golf tournament. That's not hyperbole when he goes on into a reporter where somebody asks him a question. And he's like, I'm out here to win. He is out here to win. And, and he believes that if he's playing this tournament, he can win the event. And there's something to be said about that, that, you know, if you have that mentality, anything can be accomplished. But this is shooting for the stars right now. Like we are in the city of stars, but we are shooting for the stars of Tiger needing to be able to kind of turn back the clocks to be able to compete with these guys right now. I don't know where his game is at. That's the most difficult part with it. And um, I mean, if we're talking about like a made cut, miscut sort of a situation, I don't see a ton of value in betting him in really either direction with it. Maybe the bet three, six, five price of saying that he's going to finish better than 80th uh, would be an intriguing route to go if you're trying to get action on him. But like, other than that, you know, it's a nice name. It's nice to have him in the event. I don't know if he necessarily presents that value one way or another of what I would be hoping to find. And via our head of research here at the Action Network, Evan Abrams, the longest the Tiger Woods had ever closed to win a golf tournament prior to this week was 80 to 1. And right now you can find him between 100 and 150. So if you want to be a part of history, (laughs) that's the number. However, I don't think he can win this golf tournament. And... He said the same thing, as you mentioned, Spencer, about he's not playing unless he can win the golf tournament. We know he's one of the greatest competitors in all of sports ever. And he's, for my money, the GOAT in golf. However, at the Masters, he said he was playing to win. I believed him. I bet bet him to make the cut. Got lucky on that. Then at the Open Championship, he just said he was very grateful to be out there. He talked about how it was a part of being there and loving St. Andrews, the course, but it didn't seem like 
he thought he could win that tournament. And as a result, I bet against him in the match against Spieth uh, and whoever his Spieth's partner was in the fall. Uh, that, was, that was, yeah, that was over after three holes. Um, it was only a 12-hole match, but that was over easy money. I bet him to miss the cut this week when odds opened. I got him around one minus 170. I know he opened at minus 150 at some other places where I couldn't get him. And right now he's sitting around minus 200. I've seen him as low as like minus 350 to miss the cut. Uh, I don't necessarily recommend it past minus 175, but I have a hard time seeing him make the cut here at a tournament where he's never won. By far the tournament he's played the most events at without a win on the PGA Tour. And Riviera is a course that challenges every aspect of your game. The Kokoya Rough makes it tough if you miss the fairways, makes it tough if you miss the greens. And the greens themselves are some of the toughest to read on the entire PGA Tour. And Tiger's never really gotten a full beat on that um so similar with jason day which is the reason i'm not backing him this week and we'll get yeah. back to jason day later um so all of that plus he's just not in form he hasn't played tournament golf in a while makes me think he's gonna miss the cut so like we said we want him to do well i hope he wins this week and proves me wrong but i did bet him to miss the cut with that being said spencer let's get into your best bet of the week who you got it's interesting. So we're in another spot this week where I don't have a head-to-head -head wager that I'm going to be able to talk about on this show. And I mean, the one I'll throw out there, if you're able to search around books and maybe you can find this at a price, it, it unfortunately moved it everywhere I saw. Would have been a Patrick Rogers over Kurt Kitayama sort of wager. I think anything in like the minus 120, minus 125 range would have been really nice there. I guess instead, I mean, I don't want to go to the outright market. That, to me, that's not a best bet sort of a wager. So, I mean, I guess I'll go with, let's go to the bet three, six, five board. And let's say Brian Harmon to come 54th or better as my best bet this week. All right. I'm going to go also in the bet three, six, five placement market. I'm going to go Will Zalatoris 33rd or worse. Also at minus one twenty. Spencer, actually let's jump into why you like Brian Harmon to finish 54th or better. Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to hear concerns this week with Harmon and his lack of length for this setup, but I've noticed intriguing trends where he tends to can compete better at lengthier setups that require an immaculate short game to succeed. We saw it a couple of years ago at the U.S. Open where he shot himself up the leaderboard at a tournament that seemed way too long for him. We don't necessarily get that from him in the prototypical fashion with the short game, but the large green should allow him to use his three-putt avoidance as a strength. The course history probably isn't perfect if you want to break it down in that fashion. But when you look at his past troubles here, it stems solely from his iron play. He's averaged negative 3.175 shots to the field over his eight starts. Maybe we could blame some of that on the Kakuya rough, but his irons have been trending in the right direction over the last few months. And while the three straight made cuts at Riviera won't look pretty, all three results have landed inside the number that we're going to need this week. So I think this is one of those situations, and this doesn't mean that Harmon's going to go out and win the tournament, but I do think he's undervalued in the sense that we think of him, we think of a short hitter. We know Riviera, like we can talk about the course later on. It's not the longest when you look at just the yardage of it, but there's a lot of built-in yardage. Like if you look at the short par five and the short par four, you kind of build all that yardage back in on some of those lengthy par fours that you have. And I know that that's like a thing that everybody knows out there in the space. And when you hear that there's going to be long par fours, the worry becomes, can Harmon's length actually find success? 
I think that markets have gone too far in the other direction. I don't know exactly what we get out of him. My model thinks that he can provide a top 30 finish, which obviously for a wager like this would be perfect. But you're telling me that, you know, he's going to finish somewhere between 30th to 45th. That's a winning bet on Bet365's market here. So I think we've just pushed this too far back. And even when we look last week, like Brian Harmon was one of the wagers that I had last week in this market. We've moved him back four or five spots from where it was last week. This is pretty much the same quality of a field with it. So um, I don't think it's gotten worse. You could make the argument that maybe the course isn't as great for him, but my model didn't necessarily find that to be a problem. Like if he's going to grade 24th in this sort of a field, it thinks that he has some semblance of upside to compete on this leaderboard. I think that length was more of a requirement last week in Phoenix than it was this week. It's always going to be helpful, of course, but just in that one pure aspect of the game, it's interesting this week because Riviera is a player's course favorite, is the player's one of their favorite courses on the PGA Tour because it doesn't have any hazards or penalty areas, I guess. And it's a fair test. If you play really well, you're going to be rewarded for hitting great golf shots. If you don't play very well, you're going to be penalized. It's going to be tough, like we said with the Kokoya Rough. We'll get into the course preview in a moment. But if anyone plays their best game, they're going to have a chance this week. And so I like that a lot about this course. We've seen shorter players win, not necessarily in the last couple of years, but over the last 10, 15 years, it's happened before. So that makes a lot of sense. And I would think overall Harmon fits this course better than last week. Um, getting into my best bet, I'm go I'm fading Will Zalatoris. He's one of those guys who had to play in all but one of the designated events. And he was the only one of those players who skipped last week, which is a tell for me that something's up. Uh, we know that he missed all of the fall swing because he was dealing with a back injury. Uh, he had a couple of herniated discs, I believe. And he was number one in the FedEx Cup standings after the first playoff event, the FedEx St. Jude, which he won last year, then had to withdraw during the BMW Championship. And then he makes these swing changes to help him out for the longevity of his back. He also went to a shorter driver. And although he's gone to the shorter driver, he's still been hitting at the same length uh, off the tee. So that's not a huge concern for me, but he's still finding his form with the irons. We don't have a ton of data because he played at farmers, missed the cut. So only one of those two rounds was tracked and then also played at the American express where only two of those four rounds were tracked at the uh, die stadium course over there. So still a lack of data overall, but in a field where 23 of the top 25 players in the world golf rankings are playing, asking for him to finish in the top 32 is a bit of a stretch for me at minus 120. So I'm going the other way for a guy who isn't necessarily in top tournament form and the greens are tough. I'm not sure that he's going to be able to make up for his lack of precision off of approach. And then off the tee, he played on those courses where length really helps and Length really helps on all of those courses that he played, including also the third tournament he's played this year at Kapalua. And he's played in some big fairways over there in uh, California, the two tournaments, he, or for the tournament he played at Amex and also at Kapalua with the widest fairways on the PGA Tour. So I think this week where he needs to be a lot more precise, it's going to come back to bite him. However, if he came out and won the tournament, I wouldn't be surprised at all. But more on that in a little bit. Spencer, let's get into your course preview for Riviera Country Club. Yeah, so it's going to be 7,322 yards, par 71, very quick POA greens. 
Uh, this is one of my favorite tournaments of the year. We get that classic Pacific Palisades vibe of California, where the star power of the event meets the star power of the city. It's an event that yields an interesting total regarding the dispersion of scoring. We will get to some of that in a more corollary statistic in a second, but the 3.2% decrease we experience off the tee doesn't take into account that there have been some ways that you can run an off the tee statistic to try to find an advantage. The one thing I will say about distance is, well, I think that you have a rather even split between distance and accuracy from what you're trying to find this week. And we kind of see that just with the dispersion of scoring in general, there has been an increase for players that can add distance. I think that's kind of what Roberto's talking about. Like it never hurts to be able to say that you're able to add distance. Now, there's going to be a problem with accuracy. Last year, we saw it tank to under 50% of fairways hit. That's nearly 17% off the expected baseline total of a generic track on tour. But I don't believe looking at the extremes of what the course has yielded over the years is necessarily the best approach to try to find the median answer to what this test poses question-wise. Instead, I would highlight the 72.8% of approach shots that have come from 150 yards or over. That total is 12.1% above expectation. And then the big difference in my model came when looking at strokes gain around the green. These surfaces are much larger than average. Although we received nearly an 8% decrease in GIR percentage because of the greens' fast and firm texture, that, be that can become difficult to stop your ball out of when you're approaching out of the Kakuya rough. We only see that grass type twice yearly, but it's a sticky deterrent that can generate flyers when approaching the speedy greens of Riviera. I think when you add all of that to the undulation that you're going to find out here, the deep bunkering, which if you're trying to find a problem with Zalatoris, it's probably the deep bunkering. He ranks outside the top 120 in my model and sand safe percentage just to throw that out there. And I think experience, you know, where you can lay up, all of that's going to require an all around skill set. And that's the player I'm kind of trying to find this week. We want players that hit their driver well. We obviously are going to need quality proximity returns from over 150 yards, but it's that complete array of short game stats, including three putt avoidance because of the large greens, putting from five to 10 feet to not only make birdie, but also salvage par. I think that all of that is the way that you want to be running a model to try to find an optimal build. And, you know, it presented a really interesting board for me. And like Roberto, we talk about this quite often. If I run a model and I feel like on this show more than anything else, we've talked about Scotty Scheffler so often about what he is able to do. And when I run a model, it's it's uh, Scotty, it is Rory, and it's Ron. Like if they're in the tournament, one of those players is almost always number one for me. I'm going to say this. None of those players were number one for me this week. So wow. uh, it's a very unique board. And I think it's because I attached so much of a short game weight onto it. And maybe you could make the argument that I've done too much, but you know, like to me, that's what I want. I want guys that are going to be able to play an all around skill set. And there's a couple players in my mind that do have all around games that would seem suited to be able to play here. All right. So without further ado, who is that guy at the top of your board this week? And who are the rest of your outright, outright plays, assuming you're betting him? I am betting him. So I don't always go up to the very top of the board and take these types of bets here. And it's going to be a wager that's under 20 to one. And uh, you can find it on Bet365 at 19 to 1 right now in the enhanced market there. And that would be Xander Shoffley. Uh, I kind of like I just talked about, it was a fascinating situation with Xander this week inside my model. It's not the first time this has happened. There's been situations in the past, and I'm sure it won't be the last time. But for some reason, when we've had these scenarios in the past where my data goes haywire when I run a tournament and enhance the short game metrics in Shoffley's favor, it seems to shoot him near the top of the board. 
you know, it's one of thing when it pushes him to the very top. It's probably another when it strongly recommends him as someone that should have been substantially shorter in odds. I'm not going to overreact and make it a wager that's bigger than it needs to be to get the job done. I think 0.42 units to win 7.98 felt very proper for a golfer that ranked inside the top 10 of six of the seven categories that I ran metrically this week. Xander's been trending in the right direction with three consecutive top 13 finishes to start the season. And his first place grade for weighted short game helped him rank as one of only two players to crack the top 20 when looking into my weighted tee to green output and then recalculating it with the short game numbers. For what it's worth, Max Homa was the other golfer in that situation. And then I decided to roll out Patrick Cantlay again at 30 to 1 on Bet365. That has since moved to 27 to 1 since recommending it yesterday in my article, but I had value at anything over 24 to 1. I think this is one of those spots, Roberto, that we keep talking about over and over again. It's like last week's miscut obviously is not going to be ideal. We don't want golfers that are not playing well. But we're still talking about a golfer that has generated 20 consecutive rounds of shooting par or better before his mishap in Phoenix. I think the negativity around this start to 2023 has reached a boiling point with a lot of fans. But it's often those situations where the value can be found since the elite players in the world are never a, more than a shot or two away from flipping the script back in their favor. And kind of the best way to put that is so if I removed last week's tournament from the equation altogether... Like if I didn't run the stats for it, he would jump into the top three. But let's even like run the stats for him of how I did it. But let's remove that miscut from the equation. He jumped to fourth overall in my model. And I think the really interesting point to look with that is when he opens at 30 to one, and then we're talking about guys like, you know, yes, Rom and, and Scheffler and Rory and all those players, you're expecting them to play well, or uh, they're going to be at least the favorites, if nothing else here. They're also eight to one golfers or, you know, a little bit higher in some of these spots. We have a situation with Cantley where everybody wants to move in the other direction because they think the game is further off than what it is. I'm not convinced that the game is that far off. We know historically Poa Greens, specifically of the fast variety of it, California in general, like those are really high end metrics that always give them the same returns. And we've even seen it from when he's come to Vegas before, like, Give him West Coast golf and he's finding success at a lot of these courses. So I thought that 30 to one number was really good. There's probably a lot of ways in the market to at least consider it. Like I don't really love playing the star versus star sort of battle, but I considered there were books out there where I saw minus 110, minus 115. I can't lay over Morikawa. I thought that was a way to maybe try to get unique in a head to head market. As I said at the beginning, I don't have a head to head wager this week. So I'm not going to like officially recommend any of those plays, but I do believe that Cantlay has a lot of routes that we could potentially go to try to back him and anywhere above, you know, 25 to one seems advantageous to me. Yeah. I like the number play. I haven't bet Cantlay myself, but he's one of a handful of guys alongside Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa, Will Zalatoris, Sung J M and Xander Shoffley, whose numbers I don't hate this week. If you want to bet any of those guys, you could make a convincing argument. I still might actually add one of them to my card. But I'm going to be keeping an eye on them live in the golf tournament. Also going to be double-checking where they are in relation to Tiger Woods in the field because, I, like I said, the Tiger factor with people moving around also could be a hindrance for some of them. But they're all guys whom I think fit the course this week and have some value because of the top three guys, which we mentioned, who a lot of people think are just it's going to be one of those three. Looking at my card, I also started someone 
who is shorter than 20 to one. And that's going to be Tony Finau. He's someone like that a lot. He's someone who well, we've talked about on this podcast. We know Spencer has already picked him to win the masters. I've already bet him to win the masters. Um, so we're also, we're in agreement there. He's solid all around, no real weakness in his game. And he's really solid from 150 to hundred, excuse me, 150 to 200 yards, which you said, Spencer is outsized, has an outsized percentage of shots this week compared to normal weeks. So I like that for Finau. His putter's been relatively hot. He's lost strokes gained the last couple weeks, last two starts. But before that, it's been really solid overall. Last week, the greens uh, were really fast and pretty tough to read. So I'm not going to put too much into that. I still like the putter. And something else that I've heard uh, from people who've played the course a lot is that the ball sits perfectly in the fairways here. And also, sometimes you get some flyer lies in the Kakuya rough. And the course fits players who have a more shallow angle of attack than a steep one because you can catch it a groove too high and get too much spin. And it's really tough on these greens that are segmented and really fast. So I like a guy who scoops it in Tony Finau, uh, somewhat similar to a Dustin Johnson. And he's also got great history out here. He got a solo two in a playoff, uh, which he lost to Max Homa a couple of years ago in 2021. And then he also tied for second when I believe, um, Bubba Watson won here in 2018. All in all, I think Finau can win any week on the tour, but he's also another long and straight guy for a course that has a lot of long um, and straight par fours or relatively straight ones. I want a guy who's going to be more accurate rather than someone who tries to curve the ball a ton. I know Bubba Watson's won this tournament, uh, but that's Bubba just being a complete outlier. So yeah, I like Finau. I'm also going back to the well with Keegan Bradley, hit on him to win the Zozo. He's just on fire with his entire game, and his putter has improved a ton. Um, let me read you some of the putting ranks for the last five years for him. In 2019, he was 178th on tour. In 2020, 2021, he was 150, or excuse me, 185th and 186th. Then in 2022, he went from losing over a half stroke uh, on the greens per round to just about average at 88th on tour. And this year, he's gaining almost a half stroke per round on the greens and he's 45th in strokes gained putting. So he's already in the top quarter of the PGA tour after being in the bottom quarter of the PGA tour. We've mentioned his putting improvement, which is why we bet him at the Zozo. And by the way, the Zozo stats aren't even included in that. So the tournament that he won probably would have boosted him even higher, especially given the short sample size so far. And he's got nice course history. We know that he won the PGA championship in 2011 and following that, when the PGA Championship was the fourth major in the year instead of uh, one of the first two, following that between 2012 and 2015, he finished in the top 20 every single year, including, I believe, a tie for second one year. So Keegan's shown that he can do well, play well on this course. And by the way, in that four-year span where he made top 20s every single time, he also gained strokes on the putting greens as well every single time. So he can see these greens well. And as I mentioned, the putting strokes gained improvement each of the last four uh, three years after being just bad between 2019 and 2021 after the um, anchoring ban, he also has shown almost identical improvement in strokes gain on the greens at Riviera over that uh, three-year span. So I'm expecting that to continue this week. He's rolling it really well. In the first round last week, he was one of the best players in strokes gain putting. He was mailing everything in second round, he was putting it really well. We had him on our PGA Tour Live feature group coverage, both of those rounds. So I got to call a few of his shots and the putts just weren't dropping, but I like the stroke and 
he's shown that he can read these greens. So hopefully we get some more to drop and I bet him um, around 70 to one, but he's still out there at 66 to one in some places, mostly at 60 to one. I bet him down to 50, 55 to one. Uh, I love Keegan Bradley. And after hopping off of him, just because I didn't think lightning could strike twice, I'm ready to be back on him this week. And then finally, I also bet Taylor Moore at 130 to one, probably someone who can't win the golf tournament, but like Finau and like Keegan Bradley, he's got no weaknesses in his game. He's got top 15 finishes in each of his last three starts and the driving accuracy strokes gain off the tee and strokes gain approach. He's gained strokes in all of the last couple tournaments that he's done well on um, in a row. And then he's also got a T21 here in his tournament debut. So I like that. We know that court, I think the course history is relevant on this golf course. And like I said, he's hot. And while some players that's more relevant than others, I think it's really relevant for him because He's shown that on the Corn Ferry Tour in 2021 and on the PGA Tour last year, his best results have come in bunches. So between March and September of last year, which is a 17 starts fan, he had four top 25 finishes in the individual stroke play tournaments, not including the Zerk Classic, which is a team event. And all four of those top 25 finishes came within a six-week span when he played in five starts. So he's shown that he has a penchant to run hot and cold, and I'm going to try to catch him while he's hot. And maybe we find some upside that we haven't seen before uh, with the win this week. But I also like him in the top 20 market and top 40. You can get him for top 20 at plus 375 and for top 40 for plus 125, both at Bet365, your sponsor of the Links and Locks tournament previews here on the Action Network. Spencer, any thoughts on those? Sorry for that long word salad, but uh, those are my outright plays this week. No, I think all three that you have have interesting points. And and I mean, I kind of agree with you that I think Taylor Moore, I I feel like unless it's, let's say, Tommy Fleetwood, maybe a Shane Lowry, like it's very hard for me to imagine. I'm not saying those guys are going to win, but it's very hard for me to imagine anybody outside of Keegan Bradley probably wins this golf tournament. Me too. Here's the interesting thing about Taylor Moore to at least throw out there because my model liked him a little bit this week. I thought he had some value in in a lot of the markets that you talked about. And when you look at his head-to-head matchups, and I'm not saying that this is necessarily the indicator because, you know, there's people that you can get placed against that my model might hate even though the market likes him. So you always have routes with that, but I've seen head-to-head matchups where he's a buck 10 one way or another uh, against Ricky Fowler. I mean, that's a golfer that is trending in the right direction. I've seen him as low as 70 to one. So if you're telling me that Taylor Moore is mispriced, I think it's a very intriguing route to try to bet him in maybe one of those top 40 type markets there. Uh, I don't ever need that much convincing to get to Keegan Bradley. I I don't know if I necessarily think he's going to win the golf tournament, but I love everything that you said. I, I think that he's one of those guys to where he can hit out of, I don't want to say nowhere because we've seen form with him. He just won a tournament in the fall, but he can compete and win a major championship more so than anything else, even if he's done mm-hmm. that 10 plus years ago. So it's like players like that. And that's where I, I throw Fleetwood in, even though he hasn't won one. And I throw Lowry in because he has won one. Like these are players that have pedigree to them. Like if I'm going to try to find somebody who's going to win and I think Adam Scott's name, like I'm not betting Adam Scott this week, but it's like those types of names. If somebody's going to shock the system and beat all the big names, it's going to be one of those guys like that. I can't imagine like, I'm not going to take a shot at anybody, but if you scroll down the bottom of the board, like one of those guys who's 200 to one, that would be a shock to me if they pulled off this tournament. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a problem with the Bradley thing. And then I have to say with Finau, I have had trepidation the entire week 
that this is going to be the bet that I didn't get myself on and he's going to win this golf tournament. And it's really not that big of a shock. I feel like I say that every week on this show that I love Tony Finau, but uh, he's number one in my model when it comes to weighted scoring. So that took all 18 holes, recalculated it. And look, you need the, if you win a golf tournament, you need the score. So if you're number one in the weighted scoring of the 18 holes, that is great. We know that the short game is usually very immaculate for him when we're talking about around the green, his ability to salvage par in those situations. It's why he's found success in the past at a tournament like the Masters. You give him undulation and he can fix this, his totals in some of these spots. And then you mentioned this. He's top 10 in my model when we just look at straight weighted proximity from 150 plus yards. So um, I, I was kind of in a position to where... I mean, I guess technically, if I wanted to reduce my win total, I could have gone Xander Cantlay and Finau. Uh, but with the way that I bet it, I mean, that's just way too much exposure. And I want to leave room for in-tournament outright mm -hmm. bets. And if I do that, my card's over at that point. So, you know, maybe there's an opening for Finau at some point that I can find. And I'll keep an eye on that. And if, you know, all of a sudden he jumps to 30 or 40 after Thursday night, like that's kind of would be the ideal opening spot that I'm looking for. But I really like that Finau bet, and I wouldn't be shocked if we come here next Tuesday and I'm like, yep, Roberto, I knew I should have done that. That's the winner <laughs> of the tournament. Well, let's hope that happens and you get a live play on him if you don't change your yeah, mind no. before the tournament starts. Spencer, I want to get back to the top three players in the field uh, in some order. John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, and Scotty Scheffler. Among those three, which one do you have rated the highest this week? So it would be Rahm. Um I'm not overly high for like what you would expect on Scheffler or Rory this week. And I mean, we're talking about top eight sort of plays, but that's really bad for a person that we're talking about. That's going to be 10 to one or under in most of these situations. Cause as I kind of alluded to at the beginning of the show, you can run a model and almost every single time I run one with the way that I do my data, like, yeah, I do some really, I call it like mad scientist type stuff to where I mix and match these numbers to try to make it as unique as possible. But even by doing that, it still generates a very standard board at the end of the day. Like I'm not getting these outlier things to where all of a sudden, you know, Grayson Sig is number one in my model. Like that's not, that's not what's going to happen. Like you're going to have one of the favorites in the tournament or one of the big names. And for, for Scheffler to be eighth and for Rory to be sixth, like, a little alarming for me and and i don't know if that means like i don't know if there's a way to take them on maybe there's not i think rom as of right now he's a really tough fade candidate in any capacity he's just pumping out top 10 finishes over and over and over again it's so, absurd yeah and until like that stops i'm not gonna try to beat a system to where there's no value in opposing him like you could make the argument that sure some of these prices and head-to-head matchups could become skewed but even still, are they really like, I, I don't know. Like, I just don't find value to try to take them on at any point. So yeah, Rom was second for me overall, uh, just to throw that out there. And then the other two were sixth and eighth. So um, in, in retrospect, it's probably a little bit too low, but for me, that just kind of means that I'm not going to be on them this week. I think what John Rom's doing is absolutely absurd. He finished solo third in a tournament where, almost all the best players in the world were playing last week and it looked like he had his B minus game. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Um, if you had to fade one of those players, if I had to fade one of those players, I would fade Rory. Now we know that he's playing in Tiger's group. We know he doesn't love that atmosphere. And last week, hearing him at the press conferences, talking about how he didn't love the just crazy setting of the WM Phoenix Open, 
So if I had to fade any one of those players, I would consider fading Rory. But, and I think just in general, Rory might have the highest ceiling among those three when he's hitting fairways, but his lack of driving accuracy at times, um, you know, those guys, other guys play a fade, he plays a draw. So that just kind of makes it sometimes a little tougher when you're not in perfect form just because of the top spin uh, on a draw, et cetera, et cetera. And I like how those guys have the higher floor, I believe, um, as far as just driving accuracy and setting themselves up uh, on their approach shots. But we're really splitting hairs there. I think yeah, they're I mean, all they're... tremendous players. They could all win this tournament by five strokes over some over everybody else. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I don't want to like make it sound in any capacity that we are recommending any of these golfers. They're top 10 in my model for a reason. But just to throw out another point that you brought up earlier, which is a very unique stance to try to take this week. So uh, I believe the group after Tiger on Thursday would be Scotty Scheffler, Jordan Spieth, and Colin Morikawa. So, you know, that all of a sudden Rory has a problem being in the group with Tiger and Scheffler has a problem being in the group after on Thursday. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to split hairs here between some of these players. Or if some of those guys are playing a couple groups before him on Thursday and they're going to be wait, a couple groups behind him on Friday, that might be an advantage uh, to live bet on one of them the next day going into Friday. Uh, sure. But just something to consider if you think they're worth uh, they're worth it with what you've run in your model. Um, any other place bets that you have this week, Spencer? Yeah. So I'm going to have three in total. So Brian Harmon, 54th or better, um, JT Poston, 56th or better. That was my favorite one last week. It didn't come in. I'm going to go back here again. Um, I I think it's one of those situations to where, so last week we got him at 50th or better. He's now moved back six spots because of the miscut. It just seems like too drastic of a shift. I probably would have strongly considered going back there, even if they would have kept the 50th or better, just to kind of allude to the advantage that I do have on this number. But four out of the five finishes here have been within that number. The weighted T to green does see a slight decrease over his baseline on any course. That's probably the negative. You don't want to see that for this tournament, but he's great when putting on fast POA and has the bunker play needed to get into the weekend. Kind of to me when I'm making all these bets this week, like you're going to notice I took three guys that are in that 50th to 60th sort of range. I'm just looking, make the weekend, put together a few rounds that are fine over the weekend and let's move on. Like, let's try to get a top 50 finish from it. Like, I I don't need you to go out and win this tournament. And I think JT Poston has exhibited those qualities this season to where he had a bunch of top 21 finishes in a row there uh, to begin this year. So I'm fine with that at 56 or better. And then the last one I'm going to play, which I don't think I've ever in any capacity ever bet on this guy before. That's going to be Bo Hostler to be 57th Mm. or better. And it took a very particular route of running my numbers for a pure safety perspective for him to grade as a value. But it kind of just keeps going back to what I said is we just need him to make the cut, like make the cut and we can figure out everything from there. He's never going to look great when running a model. Although eight of his last 11 finishes have quietly landed within this number of 57th or better. His two previous results at this venue have also yielded top 50 results. I've seen sharp money moving him in the outright market. I don't necessarily think he's going to go win this tournament, but I've seen him push down into like the 70 to one range to win this event. Uh, I think that's probably a little bit aggressive is the like nice way to say that. But once again, when we're talking about placement bets and we're talking about specifically a guy that just needs to finish 57th or better, make a cut. That's all I want from my three players, make a cut. And we will figure out the situation from there. And 
you know, if you were to guarantee me that all three of these players made the cut, like I would be shocked if they didn't end up being a winning weekend with at least two of the three winning. And hopefully we can get three out of the three with it. So that's kind of my mentality for this board. Cause unfortunately I think there's a lot of hold percentage in these spots. I think we've seen worse boards given to us from a golf perspective than we've ever had before. Um, like if I'm coming on a show and I can't even give a head-to-head wager that I'm in love with, probably something wrong with the tournament with the way that the odds are being given out here. But, um, you know, it's like we always say, pick and choose your spots because we only need to find the bets that have value. You don't need to make a wager on every single bet that's on the mm-hmm. board. And by betting those three, all of a sudden, like I'm going to bet them 0.6 units to win 0.5. That already puts me at 1.8 units. You know, I'm going to have about an extra 0.6 units when we're talking about outright wagers. That moves me up to 2.4. And then I'm going to find in tournament bets uh, for head-to-head wagers. That's probably going to be the preferred way for me to attack it. And at the end of the day, if that means that I get in, you know, three units, that's fine. If I get in six units, that's fine. Just just picking and choosing my spots where the value would be. I will completely echo those thoughts. I think that was really well said. Um, going back to the Bulls Out Taurus bet that I gave out as my first placement bet uh, for 33rd or worse. I'm playing that for 0.72 units to 1.6. And then my other one uh, in the placement market at bet 365, I'm doing Taylor Montgomery to finish 48th or worse for 0.48 units to win 0.4. And Taylor Montgomery has been so far the rookie of the year on the PGA tour. He's a guy who is an elite putter and he's really long off the tee. However, you can't overpower this course with purely length and it's one of the tougher courses they're going to play that he's played so far. And at the three, what I've determined as the toughest courses that he's played, he finished with a miscut last week at, at TPC Scottsdale. He tied for 57th in a pretty weak field at the Houston open back in the fall. And then at Torrey Pines, he finished in a tie for 31st. However, Torrey Pines is a bomber's paradise. And so that one I think would fit his game better than the others. That's also the only one among those three courses that he had played before in a PGA tour tournament. So he has no course experience here. His putting strength, which has mostly been on Bermuda grass so far this year, I don't know how it's going to be on these Poe greens that are among the toughest to read on the PGA Tour. And his approach game has not been great. And so he's you been put, bad. He's been bad. Uh, so you put all that together. I think he's been uh, making the most of his rounds on the PGA Tour. It's been awesome to watch. It's been impressive. I love his putting stroke. I think he's going to win on the PGA Tour sooner than later, whether it's this year or next year. Uh, I Initially, I saw him at 100 to 1, and I said, should I bet on Taylor Montgomery? I haven't seen him at 100 to 1 the whole season. However, looking into the numbers more, especially with the approach numbers, I'm betting him to finish 48th or worse in a field that is absolutely stacked. And coming off that miscut last week, I think it provides even more equity. And I think that to play him to miss the cut is something that I'm also on the fence about. I want to get your thoughts on that, Spencer, because he is, let me pull this up, plus 175 to miss the cut. What are your thoughts? It's an interesting number. Taylor Montgomery is an enigma when you look at what he does from a production standpoint. So if I was to give you right now the weighted proximity totals, he is 125th in this field from 150 plus yards when I take all the weighted wow. proximity from every single uh, shot that he's going to be projected to hit this week, he is 117th. And then just from any generic co- course, he is 107th. So and this is out of are, 130 players for reference. 
Exactly. So, I mean, we're talking about one of the worst players in this tournament when we are looking at just straight approach metrics. Now, there's a flip side to that. The around the green game has been spectacular. Mm -hmm. He's getting up and down from everywhere. He's the number one player in my model for putting. That's probably to be expected when he's churning out these results and he's not doing it from an approach perspective. So the short game is obviously helping him there. But I think the one thing that's interesting that you pointed to Roberto, and I don't really know what to make of this, but if you're telling me that he's going to get worse on POA and specifically fast POA here, and my model sees the same decrease with it. So he moves from number one in projection to number 19 in projection when being faced with this fast, you know, grainy like POA surface that's going to be hard to read. And you're going to have to, I mean, you could make the argument that his ability to putt and to put the ball four feet from outside the cup and trust that he's going to work it in. Like maybe something can be said of that. And I don't dislike him as much as you do, I guess, because I wouldn't be shocked if the short game was able to be put together and to find success. But man, if you're telling me that there's negative trajectory with the putter, I'm worried the, the like until he can prove that he can gain with his irons, there are problems that are going to be had. And if you're telling me that there are problems that are going to be had at the back end of this, they seem to be coming on these more difficult courses, as you said. So uh, there's miscut potential here. I don't know if he necessarily misses the cut. My model has him 30th overall. It has him 33rd for safety. I mean, that kind of safely puts him in a made cut sort of range here, but I, I am not overly confident that I mean I'm never going to be overly I guess the better way to put that Roberto is I'm never going to be overly confident on any player that relies on the flat stick and mm -hmm. you could make the same argument with like a Bo Hostler but there's a much different perspective to look at when Bo, Bo Hostler his over under is you know 57th I know we're only talking about like an eight spot difference here but I I think that you're essentially needing a made cut from Hostler at least is what you're hoping to win that bet you're going to need a made cut from Montgomery and you're going to need a little bit better than that. Like, mm -hmm. even if he makes the cut, it's not going to necessarily be good enough. So I don't know if I have a strong take one way or another. I know it's a long answer to give to kind of land in the middle here, but there are negative trajectory traits that would be viewed as red flags in my model. That would worry me. I also think uh, I forgot to mention, but the driving accuracy is also an issue with Taylor Montgomery that potentially could play a role this week. Um, I could also see him finishing in the top 20 because the putter is just that good. So yeah. those are all my plays. Spencer, do you have any other ones to add before we get out of here? No, I mean, unless there's anything in like the head to head market that you at least wanted to talk about or anything that you were eyeing that maybe you didn't end up on. Um, I don't have anything like it was a pretty, pretty empty card for me at the end of the day. Um, I'll bring up a couple of players that I mentioned. I was looking live to potentially bet among these three, Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa and Sung J M. Who do you like the most? Sungjae is interesting. So Sungjae has positive uh, trajectory when we're talking about win equity. And I know that if we look at this course in particular, we haven't necessarily gotten the best results from him. And, and I think we both have alluded to this. Course history matters here. Mm -hmm. It's one of the more relevant course history courses, but it doesn't mean that you can't turn around. Like he went miscut in 2019, miscut in 2020, a 33rd in 2022. You're telling me that he figured something out last year of playing this like that could be we could be looking back at this next year and all of a sudden he came in fourth place and you know the course history concerns that we had get wiped off the map and really the only thing that my model doesn't like about him is that it has some concerns of how he's played this venue in the past so 
My answer is going to be him. I guess if I was the power rank, I would go him one, um, Hovland two, and Morikawa three, I guess. I, I just think the intrigue around Morikawa is going to be extremely popular. I think everybody wants to go back to him after missing the cut in Phoenix. And I don't know, like I've told you this before, Roberto, I'm not a person that plays Morikawa a ton. I'm also not a person that plays Hovland a ton either, but Hovland was 10th overall in my model, which is intriguing to me because it's not every single event. Does he grade in the top 10 uh, in this sort of a field? So I think Hovland makes sense. I think the ball striking for him can really be looked at in a great fashion. And you can make the same argument about Morikawa at the end of the day too, but I, I don't know. I did not like what I saw from him in Phoenix. I, I thought everything kind of looked wrong and I don't want to base everything on one event, but when you're not getting that rebate in price, and you're not really getting any of those like head-to-head matchups against him to where it's super conducive, like that you got value on the other end because he missed a cut or like, it's kind of just the number is what the number is. And kind of makes me think like, kind of like I talked about at the beginning, I would rather go to a Patrick Cantley over him in a head-to-head mm-hmm. matchup. I think that there's more upside to be had and you could make an argument about the safety at the end of the day, but my model kind of likes Cantley from a safety perspective more than most people. I love Sungjae. I think he's going to win in the next two months. Uh, I really wanted to, I really wanted to bet him coming into this week before I looked at some of the course history, and that made me a little wary. But I'm still looking for him. He's extremely straight off the tee, similar with Colin Morikawa, who coming into last week was number one in driving accuracy. Morikawa also a player whom much better golfers than I have have identified that he doesn't play really well in the wind. Uh, yes. because of that fade and last week it was windy this week in that little valley where um riviera is it's not gonna be as much wind so i'm intrigued by that as well i think he fits the mold of someone i'm also someone who just loves Morikawa, so take that with a grain of salt and then victor hovland reminds me of what joaquin neiman did last year uh yes. it's a shame he's not here this week but hovland is a guy who is very straight off the tee he's just gonna play his little butter cut and then he's very accurate with his irons not a lot of curve on any of his shots. And the short game is a concern. However, if he's going from fairway to the to 15 feet on the green every hole, I'm okay with him making a dumb bogey every now and then uh, because he has that kind of upside with his irons uh, and with his driver off the tee, which is relatively long as well. Uh, so I'm going to be eyeing them, still figuring out where everybody is in relation to the, the draw from Tiger Woods looking in round to see what the numbers are on their approach play. Um, Morikawa also, I think, will benefit from, and potentially Hovland, from there being a little bit more Kakuya rough. Uh, Actually, Morikawa more so than Hovland. Um, But if Hovland can take the flat stick out uh, from off the green in certain spots, I think that helps him too. So we'll see what happens. I'm going to be watching Sungjae, Morikawa, Hovland. Obviously, uh, I also said Xander and Zalatoris, and Dwayne Cantley because... The lack of form is what gave him that number that was highest. If I had to rank Sungjae, Hovland, and Morikawa, i go Sungjae, Hovland, Morikawa in that order, just based on the numbers that are available out there where you can get Sungjae around 33 to 1, Hovland around 30, and then Morikawa is only around 22 to 1. But I had them all similarly ranked this week. Yeah, I, I mean, and I would agree with those rankings that you just said. That's how I had them also. And and I love the comparison that you just made between Sungjae and Joaquin Neiman. So if we look at what Neiman did last year. And I actually hit Neiman at this tournament for this exact nice. reason. And um, I was able to, I believe get a 75 to one, like that's the one difference that came into play is that we're at least 
I mean, it's double the price or a little bit more than double the price of what it is on Sungjae. But uh, Neiman had that same course history concern that we're talking about. It was a 43rd in 2021, a miscut in 2020, a 44th in 2019. But the one thing that drew me to him above anything else was the weighted tee to green that I ran. And Neiman jumped into the top 10 for me when I ran that statistic. So for a golfer that was 75 to 1, that was really intriguing. Now, hmm. if we go to what Sanjay's done, obviously, like the course history looks very similar in that sense with it. He's number two in my model when running it from a weighted T to green perspective. And I ran it exactly how I ran my weighted T to green last year. So, you know, if my model was correct with Joaquin Neiman being able to find success in the metrics that I thought were important, um, you know, the numbers are run the same way this year for maybe Sungjae can find that same route to where he can find success on this in this tournament. And I agree with you. I think Sungjae is winning in a very short amount of time. Like, unfortunately, I played this game with Scotty Scheffler and it's, you know, when you're talking about 14, 15, 16, the one numbers, you kind of like the exposure runs out on you at some point with it. And I was unfortunately a couple weeks too early from the way that it ended up being played because I bet him like six times and didn't get the win on him. But I think Sungjae is the new guy for me now that I would like to get exposure to. Unfortunately, I don't have it right now, but he's another in-tournament ad that I would very much so like to find if if possible. And Sungjae, like Joaquin Neiman, someone who got on the PGA Tour at an absurdly young age. Yeah. Sungjae M, I think, is still 24 years old. I want to say Joaquin Neiman is with was about the same age when he won last year. So young guy, tough course. Tough greens to read. Maybe figure something out. Uh, like you said, that upward trajectory with the miscuts than the T33 last year. I'm going to have to exert a lot of discipline if I don't add him before the tournament after our conversation now. I don't think it's a bad route to take. Like, I mean, I, technically, I might even have enough room to add him on mine, but it's that experience that's more important to me than anything else. That's why like, I don't want to run a model that excludes anybody that has bad course history here. Mm -hmm. especially when we're talking about a player that's sub 25 years old. I think when yeah. we're talking about a young player that we don't really know exactly where they're going to go. We just know that Sungjae is a pristine ball striker. We know that he hits the ball long and straight. Like his total driving is going to look good. All the numbers are going to look good in that respect with it. Um, I, I think Sungjae makes a lot of sense to, if you were to like, he's another guy, like I said, with Finau, where if you were to tell me that he won next week, I think it's very doable. And, and unfortunately, for anybody out there listening, that seems to be the year of for me in 2023 is <laughs> I, I like Justin Rose at Pebble, didn't end up on him. I like Siwoo Kim at Sony, didn't end up on him. I, I've liked Scotty Shuffler every week, didn't end up on him at the WM Phoenix Open. So uh, it's it kind of seems to be the near misses that keep kind of making this not be as great of a season as it could be. And the season's been okay. I want to say I'm up about four and a half units right now, which for the way I started feels fine with it. But those are three, four outrights that I just talked about where, unfortunately, you know, I hit one or two of those. All of a sudden, we're talking about a 20-unit type of a year at this point. And those are mistakes that you don't want to be making. So, you know, the Finau and Sungjae thing know that they are like the two guys that were the closest misses. And then uh, Scheffler was the closest miss for me last week for whatever that's worth. Well, hopefully someone out there learned something from you and added them at some point during the week, whether it was before the tournament or once they're in contention. Uh, Spencer, any final plays before we get out of here? No, I, I don't think for me it should be a a fun tournament with Tiger back in the mix. That's always going to be mm -hmm. fun to watch him. It's like it's an honor to be able to tune in and watch golf with him. Is still playing. It's you know that's something that we didn't know was going to be possible, and it's kind of a 
shock to a lot of people. Like it's not a shock that he's playing this tournament. I know what it means to him, but we didn't know a couple years ago exactly where this was going to go with him. So for him to be able to be out there and playing professional golf with the best players in the world, that's a win in and of itself. So, I mean, congratulations to Tiger for his resilience that he has to even get himself back in this position. And I hope at the end of the day, I'm wrong. I hope he makes the cut. I hope he's in contention on Sunday. Uh, I mean, I think Twitter and the golf world would lose their mind if he has a chance <laughs> to win this on Sunday. I can confirm that I would have my mind absolutely blown <laughs> if he was in contention. I would be losing yeah. it, and I hope it happens. Uh, so that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for joining us here on the Links and Locks Genesis Invitational Tournament Preview presented by Bet365. For more great golf content from our Action Network and Golf Bet team, check out our Best Bets episode from earlier this week featuring Golf Bet's Jason Sobel and PJ Tour's Ben Everill as they quickly run down their best plays for this week's tournament. Be sure to check out actionnetwork.com and the Action app for all of our great betting and DFS content. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, Nick, who's not here, is at Six Picks. Spencer is at Tiaf Sports. I'm at Roberto A213. Spencer, where else can the people find you this week? Uh, with all your content. Yeah, so I'm going to have an article out tomorrow at Action Network. We'll talk about the first round. If there's any first round bets, I'll probably add it to that article. We'll talk about some value that can be found on the board. If anything has shifted, you can find me over at Rotoballer. That's where I release my model now. And uh, I mean, that's a tool I'm very proud of. And that's all the information that you've heard me read out about the stats and what the rankings are. You can find it in that sheet there. And um yeah, I mean, you can find Nick and I, we also do a podcast together where we highlight things from, instead of a betting perspective, we talk about it from a DFS perspective and we'll run through the board in that capacity. So uh, that show should be out on, I should be out, I guess, on Tuesday night. That's called Better Golf. And uh, once again, Roberto, appreciate you doing this show this week. Spencer, it's always a pleasure. I always get a little bit smarter working with you and Nick every single week. Uh, for me, you can also find uh, my article, I gave out uh, the picks on Taylor Moore and Keegan Bradley on the action network. Um, no broadcast this week after doing WM Phoenix open, but next time I'll be on PJ tour live. will be at the end of next month for the WGC uh, Dell match play here in Austin, actually. So hopefully I can get on the course and check it out before uh, broadcasting that tournament for the second straight year. Uh, so thanks again to everyone who makes this podcast possible, especially our producers, Noah, Sophia, and Matt. We can't wait for Riviera. One of the, Best courses on the entire PGA Tour. Another designated event with 23 of the top 25 players in the world. Tiger Woods is out there. Hopefully we get to see the big cat on the move. Thanks again for tuning in to our show. And here's to hoping you hit the green. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.